The 17 News at Sunrise podcast is brought to you by Clinica Sierra Vista. Welcome back to the 17 News at Sunrise podcast, where we share your news on your schedule. The threat is not over. We're trying to hold on. The massive fringe fire is still burning and proving to be unpredictable. I had about five minutes to get out of there. Thousands of people rushing to get out and hoping their homes will be spared by the unforgiving flames. We can't get in to get up. This is all we have. 17 News at Sunrise has team coverage this morning as we continue to cover the French fire. Good morning. Good to have you with us. I'm Maddie Jansen live here at Fire Camp 9 in Kernville once again this morning with major developments in the French fire as officials reveal some details about how they believe it started. Yeah, and firefighters still have a very busy morning as they're monitoring those conditions in the Kern River Valley. We want to take you to a live picture and look at the blaze this morning and you can still see there is uh, some flames in the area. This is actually a look at the smoke uh, that is hovering above the French fire and that fire clearly active as daylight approaches. Again, here's a live look at the fire. You can see uh, that the fire is still burning this morning. Now the fire department is using um, it is uh, has a map. We want to show you that map of the fire department that is uh, right here that it is using to show the current fire lines. This morning, Alta Sierra stands thanks to the relentless efforts of firefighters who worked for days preparing houses, treating burn patches and fending off the flames. Firefighters say spot fires coupled with strong winds and a downslope is a recipe for disaster, but they say they were prepared. When we had the extreme fire activity move in, we had already put in control lines to steer the fire away from those cabins. As of last night before we ended shift, those cabins were looking good. Only one home was lost in the Alta Sierra area, but all the other homes, including the ski resort, were protected. Again, that fire is impacting communities in the Kern River Valley, just west of Lake Isabella, about 40 miles northeast of Bakersfield toward the Kern County to Larry County border. Here's what you need to know about the fire this morning. The fire has now burned more than 21,000 acres and is just 19% contained. More than 1,000 firefighters are battling the blaze. Officials say more than 7,000 people are under evacuation warnings. at the fire area. The bright red is the perimeter of the fire itself. The lighter red are areas under evacuation orders, including Alta Sierra, Wofford Heights and Keysville. The historic town of Kernville is under an evacuation warning this morning, so that means they're told to stand by. They don't have to get out right now, but they are warned that that could come. Uh, that area is shown in yellow. Yesterday, I spoke with some of the people who live up here, mostly Wofford Heights residents who had been evacuated, and they say the flames surprised them in their homes. Windows started rattling and the house started shaking. I had about five minutes to get out of there. This is uh, where my wife and I came to spend the rest of our life. And so we're trying to hold on. And firefighters have been working tirelessly, putting their lives on the line to protect homes. I spent time with fire crews yesterday looking at how close flames got to some of those buildings, and they have just done incredible work. In some areas, the fire came up to the backyards and the edges of homes, uh, but the homes themselves were still standing. This morning, we have full team coverage. 17's Christian Galeno is live in Wofford Heights, where residents are still waiting to return home. He'll have more on those evacuation efforts 
efforts, plus new details about how the French fire started. Let's take you back out to Camp 9 where Maddie Jansen is waiting for this morning's briefing. It's supposed to start in about an hour. Maddie, I know that you were out there, of course, yesterday, mm -hmm. and uh, these firefighters are really trying to get the upper hand on this blaze. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to hear what happens at that briefing. You know, I'm really interested to hear what happened overnight because of what they were expecting. But then what we kind of found when we came up here this morning as uh, Mickey and I drove through Wofford Heights this morning, the smoke was um, a lot less dense than it was yesterday. That's not to say that it's still not very, very smoky in those areas. You know, you can still see it hanging just like a fog over Lake Isabella. Um, but I did also notice that there were some convenience stores and gas stations in Wofford Heights that had their power back on and that were open this morning, even though that area remains evacuated and closed. Those are probably just there um, for the convenience of our first responders. Um, but the battle continues today, so we're looking forward to that update that's coming up in just about an hour. We'll bring that live to you, but we want to talk a little bit about uh, the new developments and the old challenges uh, for this fire and all of our fire crews. 17's Christian Galeno has more and he's joining us live from Wofford Heights this morning. Christian. Hey, Maddie, good morning. That's right. There's so many new developments this morning in regards to the French fire. The most pressing one right now is that the French fire is believed to have been started by a human. Now, the fire officials are suspicious about this fire, and they're actually labeling it a suspicious fire as well, meaning that it wasn't started by lightning or any other natural source. Now, at this moment, they don't want to speculate a cause or a definitive cause of the start of the fire, and they are looking into any other possibilities as well until they know for certain. We have a lot of hot spots around and they are still engaged. Firefighters still continue to be engaged in mopping up and cold trailing and making sure that there's no hazards out there. Please be patient as we continue to fight this fire. Um, please be patient with trusting us and law enforcement to protect your homes. Now, again, you know, the climate is playing a very important part in that firefight. They are expected to have a very dry, warm day with some wind speeds picking up throughout the day as well. Again, going into the topic of the shelters, and if you are still in need of evacuating, there are certain areas that are under evacuation warning. So if you do need to flee and seek shelter, there are a couple of shelters over at Woodrow Wallace Elementary School. That one is at capacity at last check with the American Red Cross. The the other shelter is over at Kern Valley High School. That shelter still has some spots available. You can go there to seek shelter. They are staffed by the American Red Cross. And if you need details as far as what you need to bring and COVID-19 guidelines and precautions that are being taken at the shelter, you can head over to our website, KGT.com. Reporting live from Wilford Heights, Christian Galeno, 17 News. Back to you, Maddie. All right, thanks so much, Christian. Uh, and while many received news that their homes were still standing yesterday, many know that the threat is not over yet. Officials are stressing to be prepared to evacuate at a moment's notice and to listen and obey those evacuation orders when they come. Steps to be prepared include shut all windows and doors in your home, move flammable furniture away from windows and doors, shut off gas at the meter, shut off the air conditioning and pilot lights, turn off propane tanks, gather up flammable items from outside and bring them inside, move propane barbecue appliances away from structures, don't leave sprinklers on or water running, back your car with an emergency supply kit into the driveway and locate your pets and be ready to take them with you.
The French fire is obviously disrupting traffic in and around the Kern River Valley. Highway 155 is closed from Pasco Road in Glenville all the way to the intersection with Highway 178 uh, just south of Lake Isabella. Road closures also include Nellie Dent Drive to Highway 155, Old State Road to one and a half miles west of Highway 155, Sawmill Road at Highway 155, and the 155 through Wofford Heights is also closed from the 178 to about uh, the old golf course there. The French fire is Kern County's largest wildfire so far this year, but there have been other big fires in the area over the past several years. The most recent before this was the Peak Fire that burned in the Paiute Mountains east of Bakersfield and north of Tehachapi. That fire grew to more than 2,000 acres and was fully contained just a few weeks ago. This time last year, we were talking about the Stagecoach Fire that was raging south of Lake Isabella near the community of Havala. That fire scorched more than 7,700 acres. Meantime, five years ago, almost to the day the Cedar Fire was burning in the Sequoia National Forest just north of here, a man was convicted and sentenced for starting that blaze. It grew to around 29,000 acres. In June 2014, the Shirley Fire sparked near Alta Sierra and quickly spread due to high winds. Nearly 1,700 fires worked on that blaze. Firefighters worked on that blaze. Fire crews said the fire had erratic behavior, especially for the early summer. Three homes were destroyed in that fire. It's important to prepare for these fires in advance. One of the easiest ways to be ready for potential wildfires and other disasters is to sign up for alerts from Kern County Emergency Services. You can do that by going to readykern.com. And a reminder, uh, you can see all of the updates on uh, the French fire, all of our coverage, including information on evacuation orders, how to get free help and caring for pets and how to donate to those who've been impacted by the fire. You can find that by going to our website KGET.com. Uh, and you know, what, Alex, I heard Sean Collins, uh, the fire information officer saying earlier, trust us to take care of your homes and protect your homes and leave when we tell you it's time to evacuate. And we can tell you just by driving around yesterday um, and seeing all of the homes and how so many were completely surrounded by charred brush and blackened trees and yet the homes were still standing that fire crews are doing an incredible job protecting these homes. In some cases, um, when it calls for it, they'll have one crew per house in the area to keep those homes still standing. So they are doing absolutely everything they can to protect your homes. And uh, when you don't evacuate, if you choose not to, that takes them away to go then engage in rescue efforts and not able to protect property. All right, Kev, thanks so much. And we're going to go back out to Camp 9. That's where we find 17's Maddie Jansen. And Maddie, I know that in about 30 minutes, firefighters are set to have that briefing. I can actually see behind you, they're setting that map up for uh, this morning's briefing. I know that you've been uh, talking to firefighters throughout the last couple of days. What is their plan for today? Well, you know, the, the plan today is very similar to uh, the last few days. They're watching those winds because uh, during the day it can seem like they've got a handle on this fire, but when those winds pick up uh, later in the afternoon um, and it's a little bit breezy this morning, I can feel um, that's when things can really take a turn for the worse. So yeah, they are setting up over here. They've got a new fire map up uh, showing the lines and the growth from yesterday. Uh, we expect to get an update on just what their plan is for today around 6 a.m. That's when that briefing happens, so we'll bring that to you live uh, and then we usually get an update on eight 
acreage closer to 7 a.m. Uh, it's about more than 21,000 acres at this point, but that containment still at 19%. So we're waiting to see if they got uh, a bigger jump on containment overnight as well. But as the evacuation centers uh, are filling up because those communities of Wofford Heights and Keysville, just to name a few, have been evacuated, residents are still on edge because they can't go back home and check on their belongings and their homes to see if they're still standing. And one woman uh, that 17's Christian Galeno spoke to yesterday said she had what she described as a near-death experience as she got out. Yeah, Maddie, that's right. Well, Wolford Heights was one of those areas that was evacuated and many of those residents were left with the quick decision to just grab the essentials and flee for safety. Sheriff came and knocked on my door and said, the fire's up on the hill. I suggest you leave. What do you do next after opening your door to such news? What will you take? Where will you go? These are all questions Nina says she asked herself before acting quick. When I saw the embers coming up, I knew I had to leave. So first thing I put in my car was her food and then my a few of my personal things and water. Got my car and left, put my crochet blankets that I'd made and they're in the car. So I grabbed those and my husband's blanket. He passed away six years ago. So I grabbed the one I made for him. Heading to the shelter, Nina feared being separated from her pup, Rebel. She's never been in a cage and I have many seizures. So she goes with me everywhere. <laughs> Hi. Nina and Rebel go about their day. I go on a tour of what the fire has done to the area where hundreds of homes were spared. We decide to take a detour for a welfare check on Nina's home. It's safe. I just thank God it's a big relief from my shoulders and thank you so much. I just thank God. Now she gets to hopefully return home soon with a sunny look at life. Five years old. And never had to do this before in my life. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going back home and getting things straightened out and Maybe after about six months, I may move back to Tennessee if my great-granddaughter don't come out here. Now, Nina there did stay at the American Red Cross shelter over at Woodrow Wallace Elementary School. That's one of the shelters that's at capacity. The shelter that still has space is over at Kern Valley High. You can find all the details of what you could bring, as well as those COVID-19 precautions and guidelines that they are taking to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 inside of those shelters by going over to our website, KGT.com. Reporting live from Wolford Heights, Christian Galeno, 17 News. Back to you, Alex. All right, Christian, thank you. Now to our ongoing coverage of the coronavirus and public health reported nearly 600 new cases yesterday and four more deaths. We have now lost 1,452 people to the virus since March 2020. 236 people are in the hospital with more severe symptoms. 45 are in the ICU. Kern County vaccination rates are among the lowest in the state and COVID units throughout the county are filling up. The vast majority of COVID patients in Kern County and the sickest of them are unvaccinated. 
The percentages go up and down over the course of a few days, but at both the Adventist and Dignity Hospitals last week, unvaccinated patients represented 95% and up of hospitalized COVID patients. Dr. Jonathan Dario is a medical chair is medical chair at Adventist Health Bakersfield. In that role, he has seen hundreds of patients suffering from the symptoms of COVID-19. Most recover, at least well enough to go home. Too many don't. I've, I've experienced uh, patients who say they don't really believe they're as sick as they are. COVID was uh, real. Maybe that's the reason why they didn't have the vaccine. The vaccine is your cheat for all of this. You know, you're getting ahead. You get to get something that's going to make you essentially stronger. Your body already has the tools. Dr. Dario says vaccinations are a personal choice, but he says if he were the chancellor of a university system or an NFL owner, he would require it. At this point, a vast majority of people dying from COVID-19 did not have to lose their lives. Their unwillingness to get the shot led to suffering and death. Here in Kern County, at least 83 people have died from the virus since vaccines became eligible to everyone 12 and older. One of those was Nina Martin and her dying wish was for others to learn from her mistake. <laughs> Nina Martin loved her family. A couple times a year, she and her three sisters planned a getaway. We would go to the mountains, we'd go to the beach, we would go to Hawaii, we would just do crazy things. This summer, Nina was excited when things were opening back up. She went to baseball games. She was a huge San Francisco Giants fan. She even went to a game last month. I think we're the first ones here. The worst of the pandemic seemed to be in the past. So she thought, but her family worried. In June, Nina's sister texted, nagging her to get the vaccine. Nina responded, I don't need it. I just don't want to get it. There's no reason for me. She did not have any underlying issues. She was healthy. She was active. Uh, she was always out doing things. She did not, she was not overweight. She did not have those issues, uh, which I think is part of the reason she didn't feel it was necessary for her to be vaccinated. She was wrong, as became clear on July 24th when she tested positive for coronavirus. So I have COVID. I'm in the hospital. She called me and said, Sis, I tested positive, but I'm going to be fine. She wasn't fine. And no, I didn't get the vaccine. Because of the infectious nature of COVID, she was in isolation, unable to have visitors. Within a few days, she rapidly got worse. COVID quickly wreaked havoc on her body. She was in the hospital alone from August 1st. Her body continued to go down that whole time. And there was nothing that was wrong with her to cause that. It was the COVID that was attacking her. Hooked up in the hospital and attached to different machines, Nina realized she needed the vaccine, but she knew it was too late. Should have definitely got that vaccine. Nina's intense battle with COVID illustrated in the heartbreaking text to her loved ones. She texted her dad one day saying, I'm suffocating. Her father texting back, just keep breathing. You're a fighter and you're strong. Just keep up the good fight. Love you, my sweet Nina. I literally watched my sister over a 20 day period of time die 
and she drowned in her lungs. She would call me on FaceTime, struggling for her next breath. She would text me saying, Sissy, I'm afraid I'm gonna die. Please take care of my children. Early on August 14th, Nina took her final breath. She died alone in the hospital. Just one month ago, the sisters had been planning another girl's trip. Now, they're planning a funeral instead. I just don't want other families to feel what we're feeling right now because this is the pain is so immense that it's hard to explain. Pain the family is afraid others will feel because so many are still unvaccinated. Pride comes before your downfall. You may have been telling everybody not to get vaccinated. You don't need to get vaccinated. This isn't going to impact you. And so in your heart, you've believed that. Don't let that cause your death. Don't let that cause the death of one of your loved ones. It's okay to admit, maybe I was wrong. Her family is hoping their tragedy will show this virus doesn't kill only those with underlying conditions. It's also killing otherwise perfectly healthy people. And it's mostly preventable healthy mothers and fathers out there with young children, this could and will affect you. This is serious. Don't be prideful about this. You don't even have to tell anybody, just go down to the drugstore, walk in and you can get vaccinated today. Nina Martin was 53 years old and the family says her death certificate reiterates she did not have any underlying conditions, meaning the virus alone was responsible for her death. Local health experts say the best way to prevent severe disease and death is to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Vaccinations are free and safe. Those 12 and older who want the vaccine can make an appointment at myturn.ca.gov. Welcome back. Your time now is 5.52 and it has been 20 years since Parker Chamberlain stabbed and killed his mother in what one detective described as one of the most gruesome crime scenes he's ever encountered. Now, after two decades in state prison, Chamberlain is up for parole. On the morning of July 3rd, 2001, 15-year-old Parker Chamberlain attacked his mother in a range in a rage stabbing her 34, 35 times. After he confessed to the crime, prosecutors charged Chamberlain as an adult and sentenced him to 26 years to life. Commissioners of the Board of Parole Hearings will decide today whether Chamberlain, now 35, should be released. If they do, his case will go before Governor Gavin Newsom, who could overrule the board and order Chamberlain to remain behind bars. A Delano convenience store clerk was caught by surprise when a man armed with a large knife came for cash Sunday night. Take a look at the video. Delano police said a thief went into the county line market on Sunday just after 8 p.m. Police say he walked up to the store clerk while armed with a large knife and demanded money. When the clerk tried to get away, the suspect stopped her and forced her to open the cash register. He took off with the money and now police are asking for help identifying the suspect. If you have any information, you're asked to call Delano Police Detective Joe Madgrill at 720-552. Working in the spirit of the Golden Empire, this is 17 News at Sunrise. The 17 News at Sunrise podcast is a production of KGET and Nexstar Media Group. For more on all of the headlines in today's show, head to KGET.com.